Hi, everyone. I'm Nate. And I'm Shelby. And welcome to Almost Heretical, the show for those questioning, deconstructing, or changing in their relationship to God, church, and the Bible. When we started questioning our faith, we felt alone and unequipped to handle the barrage of questions and verses that were being lobbed at us, both by Christian friends and often by our own minds. But when we began to examine the Bible from an academic perspective, we discovered that we weren't crazy and we might actually be onto something really beautiful. And we're here to help you navigate your own deconstruction, connect with others on this journey through our Facebook group and Zoom calls, and find a way forward built on a foundation of honesty and authenticity. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Who are you? There's some days I think I know, and other days I don't. So I'll continue the necessary sifting to find what I've been missing. Hi, welcome to Almost Heretical. I'm Shelby, and Nate is here too, and we're starting a new series. It's going to be a really cool one focusing on the topic of worship. Yeah, I'm holding a guitar. So <laughs> that's how you know. holding a guitar right it's now. It's just, it's on my lap. And this feels really natural. I mean, this is part of my story, right? So worship leader for a number of years. I mean, all the way started from when I learned how to play the guitar, which is you know, a crucial instrument in Christian worship. but um, <laughs> Ancient instrument. <laughs> when I learned how to play the guitar, so this is like junior high for those non- American folk, that's like 12, 13, something like that. And uh, yeah, the, the worship pastor at our church taught me. And from there, it's just like, okay, next week I'm like playing in the junior high group. And then I'm leading the junior high group worship. And then I am move up to high school, I'm leading the high school group. And I'm leading all our, when we go to retreats and camps and all that kind of stuff. And, and then uh, our worship leader left the church, took a job at another church, I believe. And suddenly I'm... The worship leader, pretty much for the most part, almost almost every week. So that was sort of, and then I'm you know writing songs for the church, and, and that led to eventually doing other camps outside of our church for other for other groups. And um, in yeah, I was like traveling up and down the West Coast and doing other stuff. I mean, not like a ton, but doing some some traveling and some leading at different events and uh that's and that's a weird experience too it's it's one thing when you're like leading for the same group every week right it was a church or a youth group or something like that but when you're kind of dropped into a to a situation and you like just start like hey lead this group into a time of uh, to a, an impactful emotion filled worship experience like just do it you know it's like wow that that tells Bunch you of how people much people that you've never met and you don't know how they do this Usually, yeah. yeah. And it tells you how much of the, like of this the is the environment, the music, like we they know that song and we know that song like leads us into this certain thing. And it was a really special time. And that, that led all the way to when I moved to Southern California to be a part of kind of a large mega church down there in Simi Valley. Um, I'm dropping hints. We, we share all this stuff on Utterly Heretical, our second podcast for patrons, if you want to. We share more stories and just kind of tell more about our, our background and different yeah, different events and things that happened. But anyways, at that church in Simi Valley, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I eventually started leading worship there too. And that was like a mega church. That was my first 
that was, I remember like the feeling of like, oh, cool. I've like made it as a worship leader. <laughs> like it's all so funny now, but there was like tryouts wow. and they, uh, um, I mean, I guess that's good. Yeah. But you had to, you had to like, cause there's so many people that wanted to like play at this, at mm. this church. So there were tryouts for worship leader. There were tryouts for like drummer, tryouts for electric guitar player, tryouts for keys, tryouts for background vocals. Like there's, tryouts for the sound so they were like moving everyone during this audition or these tryouts or whatever they were moving everyone so like you would lead and then you would lead with this drummer and this electric guitar player and then it's like okay switch and cycle and then so there would be like a different one or something like that but but yeah so i guess i made it and <laughs> and i was leading at this church that was your peak that was my peak yeah that was that's sort of it you know and planning the worship sets and emailing the band and getting practice organized for Thursday nights and sending out the chord sheets and, uh, you know, transposing. Like, if you've been involved CCLI. in this world. And it's, yeah, CCLI. The licensing stuff, I feel like that wasn't as big of a deal back in, like, mm. 90s and early 2000s. Like it, our, or our church just didn't, <laughs> didn't comply. Or we were just paying the, I think, like, there's a standard oh. monthly one you can just pay instead of have instead of doing like itemized or whatever that's kind of like taking the itemized thing on taxes versus just anyways so i think we did that but then yeah later on it became like you have to like document each song you do and then planning center everyone who knows mm -hmm. that tool out there that became a thing in like the mid 2000s or whatever and so that changed everything it's like oh geez i don't have to go to the filing cabinet and pull out all the chord charts anymore and so anyway for anyone who's been in this world or been a part of a worship team worship band it's it means something and it's you know it's still like i look back with really fond memories and so we're talking about the topic of worship and i know you have you know you led a lot and what well, did you lead kind of well I'm, I'm not much of a vocalist um so but i i am a pianist and also played some guitar and so i found my i, I definitely was on the the worship team at church growing up just um i mean i think i started probably when i was 13 doing piano or keyboard i was pretty against the keyboard i just wanted it to be the regular piano mm. but um organ had to be an organ oh, gosh, organ no, purist not, yeah not no yeah okay um but yeah i also because i could play the basic four chords i ended up i mean i was the quote-unquote worship leader for like a mission trip to mexico that i did even though i am literally have very little guitar experience and pretty bad vocals so if you if you have the ability you just you get put in the in the spot if you if you're willing to say yes i'm sure there's a sermon there the lord equips who he calls I exactly think. he doesn't qualify uh, doesn't qualify it? the equipped no 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 well god doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the, something like that i thought the word equip was in there. that sounds right there though too. i know it's one of those twisty quotes where it goes back <laughs> i love those kind oh, those are the best i can't believe neither of us remember it <laughs> Someone's like yelling at their yeah. phone right now, like, yeah, it's just email us or <laughs> Facebook group us in the yeah. Patreon Facebook group. But anyway, I think, you know, it's interesting that being, you know, over a hundred episodes into Almost Heretical that we haven't done a series on worship before, just considering how crucial and central this is to most people's Christian experience. And I think my my hypothesis, and you might have a different one, is that maybe one reason is that it's like it's not as much of an intellectual conversation usually. Not to say that there's not, obviously there's intellect involved, but it's a very emotional experience. And while obviously there's like words and theology built into it, there's something really different about the musical worship experience than most other parts of church or Christian life that 
that we're used to. Yeah, especially in like the reformed, very doctrine-centered world, which I think this show is kind of born out of that, you know, as a response to that, because that's where, you know, Tim kind of came from. That's where I came from. That's where you sort of came from. Was it, it was very heady, intellectual. You know, you can understand the faith and, and with, with doctrine and theology and all these kind of things. And so I know for me, a lot of times, and I think the churches I've been a part of in the past were sometimes accused of, probably rightfully so, like not being as focused on the the spirit and on the you know, spontaneity of a worship like experience. The embodiment. Yeah. Like these revivals that happened, that would have been very foreign to like my upbringing. I've been like, well, something's, mm-hmm. something weird's going on there, you know, because it's, you know, it's a little too loose, right? Like that mm-hmm. was my sort of upbringing was it, it, and what I was teaching in church is like, it's, you know, yeah. it's this episode would probably controlled. be pretty different if we have somebody on here who's raised Pentecostal because neither of us sure. were. Um, although I, we both have also experiences in that. It's just, it's oh, it was a whirlwind. I remember that being just like this. I was like, what? This is, you guys are Christians? <laughs> That's what it <laughs> yeah. felt like. I was like, whoa, now, this is, it felt very out of control to me. And like, do you guys even know mm. any theology? <laughs> That's what I remember feeling. Yeah. Because I was, it was later in my experience. It was in my mid twenties when I got a whiff of Assemblies of God, Pentecostalism. And it was night and day different than what I was used to. And so, yeah, the worship, I was very used to a worship set of like, hey, we're going to do the verse, and we're going to do the chorus, then we're going to do the verse, second (laughs) verse, if there is one. Chorus, maybe twice, hit the bridge, and then the chorus twice, and then we'll be on to the next song. And we might even have a transitional chord to play to get us to that next song if it's in another key. We're not even going to stop the music, right, and let someone say something or, you know, chant or nothing nothing like that's going to happen. And then I go to the Pentecostal Assembly of God, all that kind of stuff, and the worship set is who knows how long we might've sang that chorus 20 times. I don't know. And it felt very <laughs> like, well, okay. And I was kind of thrust into leading into that too, you know, leading worship. And so kind of have to mimic, and maybe this is a theme too in worship. It's like it kind of mimicked what I saw someone doing in that group to fit in kind of with that group. Um, that's from a leader perspective, but I think from a congregational perspective, very much like a, I remember even in that, Oh, that's, that reminds me like even in that Pentecostal environment, we would have this weekly worship service. I think it was on Monday nights or Tuesday nights or something like that. And we would ask all the like, you know, heavy worshipers. And by that, we mean people that were like raising their hands Mm -hmm, and jumping mm -hmm. up and down and clapping and that kind of stuff to be up towards the front (laughs) because that sets the theme and the tone Mm -hmm. for the whole group. And so, because you tend to follow what you see, right? And so, and it kind of worked. Like it creates this environment, this atmosphere. And I think, yeah, what's the goal with the environment and the atmosphere to get you to feel something? I guess to then get you to do something, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, we, if we really want to start with the the basics here, and I think I think where I do want to start is first of all just defining worship. I mean, I'm, I'm all about linguistics, and and this one is a particularly like important word, and I think we'll ag- end up acknowledging that we are using it in a specific way that, that maybe it could mean more. Yeah, I always grew up, and I remember the sermon of the like the difference between worship and praise, right? So praise yeah. is like oh, wow. the arrow out. You're telling others about and how great God is, and then worship is like you're telling God how great God no, is. No, I never really it's heard like that distinction. It was just like a singular earth. unit, praise and worship, to me. Hmm. Which, I mean, I think is is uh, telling. I think in my mind, and probably in most people's minds, praise and worship are kind of the same thing. I mean, I guess, I guess if you grew up in your kind of church, they're not, but like worship was largely praising God. Um, Mm. Like 
in the sense that it was very little lament. And I mean, that's pretty interesting because, I mean, if we go into worship, what is worship? There's so many different... Obviously, musical worship is kind of mostly what we're talking about because that's mostly what, you know, even though we might have been taught that worship can be all sorts of things, like it can be prayer, it can be meditation, it can be admiring creation, it can be, you know, serving others, like anything is worshiping God because worship is, you know, some kind of act of, like, what, I don't know, wow, I feel, I feel like a failure that I can't even define worship. What, what would you define it as? It's a, well, I almost gave the baptism definition, outward expression of an inward reality. Um, well, that's pretty good, though. It's a, it's a, an expression of your love for yeah, God. Yeah, okay, adoration. Basically. Yeah. That would be, but I do but think it's... But I would, I, would, I would put the word emotional in there, too. It's an emotional mm. response to your love for God. And I think, for me, it was very much this adoration, praise, like if worship is about kind of giving God what he deserves and what he's worth, which was very much, when you go back and look at the history like of, of worship, and you think about the Old Testament, like obviously the Psalms are kind of the center of what we would, the, where the foundation of, you know, worship music or worship songs come from. And there's been kind of a resurgence of talking about this, I think, even among the uh, evangelical Christian world, but I think two thirds of the Psalms are laments. And, um, I, and when I saw that statistic, I obviously had to go look up approximately, you know, how much of modern worship music is lament. And, um, the first kind of result I saw was saying that out of the top 100 CCLI, um, of, I think it was of 2020, there was one song that could be categorized lament. So we're talking 1% or 2020, less. 20, so that's not Blessed Be Your Name. <laughs> uh, I don't I That's don't a pretty know. happy lament song. Yeah, too. I, say, I don't know if that would be classified as lament, um, but that's probably a, a that's topic in four, for... That's in 4-4. I feel like lament songs need to be in like 3-4 or like 6-8 or something like that. Yeah, interesting. And then as far as like worship in the early church, um, there's, I mean, we don't have a lot of songs. There are a couple of what scholars would call kind of Christological songs in, I think, Colossians and Philippians, these sort of poet, even in most of our Bibles, they're like, they're printed a little differently, indented differently to look sort of poetic. Um, And so they, scholars think those could be early Christian songs. And I mean, it's actually interesting. um, A historian from, I believe the second century, a Roman historian named Pliny wrote, he actually was, writing against Christians, but in uh, in his writing was describing them and said that they are accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God. So it's, it seems like, oh, wow, singing is like pretty, hmm. like that's, that's his description of who these people are. Yeah. Um, although scholars also say that the word sing there, which is originally in, I can't remember if it was Greek or Latin, it could also probably be translated chant. So there's one of you know, one of those meanings. Of not, I don't think it's too too crucial. And then, I mean, we all have heard probably in Ephesians and then also Colossians. They're very similar verses. They're very in a very similar 
place in these letters, kind of the letters are very similar structurally as Paul's writing to the Church of Ephesus and the Church of Colossae and similar letters. And he writes, let's see, the Ephesians one says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the kind of parallel verse in Colossians says, um, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Um, it's kind of interesting as I was looking up those verses, kind of reminding myself of them. They're both, like I said, placed very structurally similar spots. And it just so happens that the next piece that Paul kind of goes into is um, wives, submit to your husbands. It's just like a quick transition from kind of congregational church stuff to familial directions that we've talked about plenty. Hey, Brian, do you know anyone that was once a teenage fundamentalist? Oh, Troy, you know that I was, because you and I have a podcast called I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. I did know that. But you know what I find myself asking these days? No, I don't, but I think you're going to tell me. What about all those things that church gave us definite answers for? What are we supposed to think about all those things now? Well, funnily enough, that's what we're doing for season five of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. Ooh, Brian, I sense the Lord at work here. Mm, It works in mysterious ways. And we are going to unpack these things. We're going to find out what we do think about them now. So tune in to Season 5 of I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist, the official podcast for the Azusa Street Revival. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not quite sure that's true, but it is available wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's interesting. You said the thing about you shall gather. Was it was it the word gather in there or something? Um, accustomed to meet. Yeah. Meet. So the idea is that there's others coming together, right? So, um, which is interesting because generally you don't think of a worship experience being a solo experience, right? That's a quiet time or that's a um, some sort of a Bible, not Bible study in the sense of like with other people, but like you're you're getting the, the word out and you're going to get into the word or you're like doing your quiet time and like devotions and that kind of thing prayer, these can be both communal and individual. Whereas worship, we pretty much only think of that as a communal experience. Although that's um, probably changed dr- drastically because of like the our ability to now record and play music. Like anybody can play worship music while they're, you know, in their kitchen making dinner now. And That's true. And But I mean, a hundred years ago, that probably happened a lot less. Like worship probably was a much more when we're in a group of people kind yeah. of experience. Oh, it's it's that. And I think it's also the the recording technology. So the fact that we can now record a live concert experience, which mm. is what most worship songs are now. Even the original release of a worship song, it used to be like a Matt Redman album where he was he just went to a studio and recorded those or I'm trying to think of other like older even than that. Um but they go to re- they go to a studio and record, right? And now most of what comes out, I mean, most of it's coming out of Hillsong, and but even the Chris Tomlins and the Matt Redmonds, it's it's usually live stuff that you're hearing. And so when you're in your kitchen, you're connecting mm. still to a communal 
the reason why you feel it so deep is I think generally because you're hearing all the voice when it, when the lead singer cuts out and it goes to the bridge and everyone's singing it, you know, yeah. and I feel like you're part of this yeah, army or something. You can like picture, you can see, or they just go on YouTube and you're like watching and singing along with, you know, 10,000, 20,000 people in some arena somewhere. And that's what I was going to say, I guess it's like, you know, after deconstruction and uh, I, you know, I wouldn't say I've, I guess I've been to like one or two concerts since deconstruction, but you know, like I'm just picturing like a Coldplay concert. Mm. I watch those on YouTube sometimes and you see this pretty epic, I mean, these are like football, American football or, you know, soccer, proper football stadiums where you're talking like 100,000 or more people in this in this one place, this one facility together. And some of the same kind of things you see happen in church that you think are just church things. It's really fascinating, but they happen in those environments as well. What do you see? You see people close their eyes because there's something that like washes over you. Mm-hmm. in that moment when you're when you're a part of something bigger than yourself mm-hmm. and you feel small and you feel like whether I sing or not my, my voice is completely drowned out in this sea of people right you see people raise their hands yeah and you see people raise their hands and close their eyes <laughs> you see people like for sure singing, dance dancing right like <laughs> running around there, you just see all these types of things happen um crying. jumping up and down crying clapping like chant, screaming, chanting, like in excitement, just overcome with this, you know, thing. They just, yeah, it's interesting that those are very similar experiences. It makes yeah. you wonder if the common denominator here is the music and the gathering of people doing that together with a large group of people. Um, I used to imagine like that's what heaven's like, right? You're going to be in this large sea of people. I mean, just as mo- many as people as you can, many people as you can think of in this large group together, just drowned out in the in the voices. And then I'm like. That's a Coldplay concert, right? That's a Ed Sheeran concert. Like, it does. You you do see those types of things, and it's not just um, it's not just in the church. I'm not not trying to diminish that experience in the church necessarily. I'm just saying it's not exclusive to that. I think it's it's a musical experience. It's a communal musical experience where you see these things happen. Yeah. Yeah, and and as we talk about, you know, for most of the rest of this episode, kind of worship maybe through the the lens of our experience having deconstructed. And I guess I kind of want to start by just acknowledging that we're not out here to say that worship is somehow all problematic. Like there will be some problematic things that we maybe experienced or some theology within worship, but the practice of music and embodiment and, and like you were talking about, just like this is, there's no doubt that communal um, worship, whether it's of you know, a Christian worship or any other religion, or even people just all for a certain cause, or like you said, being part of something bigger than themselves, like there's no question that that is a incredibly important and impactful experience. And so, just to <laughs> lay the foundation that like we're not going to come in here and be like it's all a sham, and it's like no, that's if anything, it might be. I, I think for a, a lot of us. I'd say this is true for me. I don't know if it's true for you, but in my experience growing up, I mean, I'd say I was a pretty, it was very conservative, you know, evangelical fundamentalist, all that stuff. And in a lot of ways, looking back, very disembodied and the very, you know, a lot of purity culture and, you know, your body is bad or dangerous and your spirit is what's truly valuable and whether those things were said directly or not. 
So when I look back on it, like most of my faith was very mental process. And so worship probably was um, one of the most important ways that I actually connected with, uh, with my body without necessarily realizing it. Although I was always like very uncomfortable in a lot of the like physical expression. Me too. Yeah. And and I I mean, I wasn't a very good Christian. Yeah. And so, and I remember like standing, um, I mean, so I, Grew up in a small church in a small town, but then when I was you know, old enough to drive, I went to the the hip church in Portland, still the hip church in Portland, if you ever show up, and it was a lot more, I don't know, I mean, it's not Pentecostal, but a lot more outwardly expressive than I was, and, and I felt, yeah, like you mentioned before, very much like I needed to match what um, I was seeing here, not because I was trying to fit in, but because I just assumed that these people like have a better, they're, they're connecting with God better than I am. And so, I, I mean, I would, you know, and maybe I need to talk to a therapist about this. I don't know, but I would just try and hold open my hands. Just, you know, start with the real bottom line yeah. basic. Just, You're talking elbows glued. Oh yeah. Elbows okay. still glued, but at least my, I'm trying but to open arm, my hands. If you, you can't see her, the, the forearm is now 90 degrees yeah. out. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's the, it's like I'm holding a platter essentially. Uh, the platter pose. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. But I like, I didn't, I just, it was so, it was more distracting to me than helpful. Like, and, and for some people, I'm sure that's not the case. Like, I know this is just a, everyone's different sort of a thing. But for me, it was, I genuinely was just trying so hard to like, maybe if I can just, you know, everyone up front would say like, your posture is going to, you know, that invites God in a certain way. And there's probably some truth to, you know, the way you posture your body allows, is connected to your mind in a certain way. But I just was trying so hard and, and yeah, and I couldn't help but feel like I was doing it more to prove to myself or to prove to the people next to me than anything that was Hmm. actually related to god but so i want to kind of talk about our experiences obviously we've been talking about this but and as we go into this nate maybe grab your guitar if if any of like songs come to mind of like oh, oh these that was were... the other thing i was never that was never me that was never that leader where what? it's like and then as the spirit leads just play the song that comes to your i was like i needed to have my printed mm. worship set i knew guys like that and they were they're you know they're wonderful it's just like wow that was a perfect song good job <laughs> But and I, you know, and the other thing, there, we will probably play some songs here going forward. And I realize for a lot of people, we hear from you in the Zoom calls we do every month for patrons of the show or the private Facebook group that we have for patrons. We hear from you, and sometimes things like this, like hearing a worship song, even is still too triggering for some of you, and it brings you back to a certain experience that was not positive. And I would just say, yeah, maybe just hit that little. 30 second skip button for a couple times and zoom past the song if that is you. And I also think that is telling, right? That this specifically, even just hearing a song, right? Can songs have the power to instantly zap you back to a specific time and place and you can smell the same smells and feel the same feelings you were feeling at that time, whether it's a Christian song or not. Um, I know I'll hear a song. I'm like, whoa, okay, I'm not ready for that. It has not, the song is not emotional at all, but it just brings you right back to that season of life or that time. And in worship songs specifically, when they're designed to be an emotional experience to, to draw out an emotional response from you, uh, I think those they have the power to do that even more. So I understand if you need to skip. And mm-hmm. for some of you, might you might be in a place in your faith evolution where you're like, I can, I can hear them and that's, you know, I can smile and I can be like, yeah, that was, I remember that one or sing along even and be like, yeah, I remember that. And 
those were those were good times. I'm in a different place now. I'm not saying you never worship. I'm not saying you never sing. I don't know, but I'm in a different place, and that's okay. And I can, and I think that's largely where Shelby and I are. Is we can we you know we do get the guitar and out, and she's on the piano at night sometimes, mm-hmm. and we just jam out to some worship songs or just even Christian music songs. Which that's a pet peeve of mine. People getting those mm-hmm. mixed that's, up. Yeah, they're not the same thing. <laughs> they're not the same. Like we ask people, give us some names of like people you want to hear us interview, like worship leaders specifically you want to hear us inter- interview. And all we get back is like recording artists, like Christian recording artists. I'm like, that's not what that means. Sorry. Maybe some, that's just some, me. Some of them overlap, but that's some n- very, very rarely. No. But uh, like, I mean, Matt Redman would probably be like an overlap there. Maybe largely in the past, I would say more so, but. And when I, uh, when I think of Matt Redman, of course, I can only think of Heart of Worship and that feels like maybe an appropriate song to, to bring in here. And I think I, anytime I had to make my own little worship set, I would probably like quite often would throw this one in here because it just, yeah, I mean, it did it. Well, I'm interested to hear it again right now and hear what, if I still feel similarly, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. I still remember the the two chord vamp that you do when someone's talking, right? Before the music comes. Thank you. Let's see the verse. uh, When the music fades. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth. That will bless your heart I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart I'm coming back to the heart of worship And it's all about you It's all about you, Jesus I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it When it's all about you song by you, Jesus. <laughs> well, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts. First of all, I just want to note that I went, of course, went into the harmony in the chorus because I'm, I'm so used to that because, and we've, I think, talked about this on Utterly Heretical before. Most of these songs just seem to be written in male keys and the women have usually a hard time uh, singing them, and so I, I learned to harmonize pretty well. We did talk about that on, I think, the last worship episode we did on Utterly Heretical. So once a month, I would say, or maybe once every couple months, we do a worship episode on Utterly Heretical where we play three songs and we kind of just analyze them, think about them, talk about them. Reflect what, on them. Reflect on them, um, but we sing them. And so if you like that kind of stuff, uh, we got a lot of good reviews about the last <laughs> one we did. Um but, and we talked about above all on there, which maybe we should cover that mm-hmm. in a little bit here. But anyways, uh, you can go check that out on almostheretical.com. But yeah, the harmony thing, um, they're always almost always done in male keys. I remember, I feel like I remember some church, it wasn't my church, but it was some other church I went to. I think it was a Orthodox Presbyterian church. And there was like a teaching done on 
the male key and how what? it should be in this key so that the men can sing the song. And it was, it was pretty bad. Yeah. Wow. But I think okay. some churches wouldn't Never. say that, but they still end up doing it in a male key because generally it's a male lead because only men can lead for the most part. I although, think that's, although women were, I think, allowed to be worship leaders before they're allowed to be other yes. leaders. I mean, other than obviously children's ministry. That was yes. never a question. Right. I don't know why that is. Why do you think that is? Some churches are just desperate. I don't know. Or maybe... maybe just realize like, how amazing some, their voices are. <laughs> I think maybe some churches don't see worship leaders as teaching. Mm-hmm. And so if, you, if you're saying that women can't teach, well, they can still sing. That is interesting because a lot of the... Um, complementarian churches I know have, I would say, over. And this is, again, the argument of church just follows culture. Like, a lot of the complementarian churches I know, you know, it was a big deal if a woman ever led maybe 20, 30 years ago, but now it's, like, not a thing at all. Hmm. And they can't teach, can't be elders, but they can lead the music. But that's been a change, right? So th- this hmm. is what I, I always say on this show, that the church is just like the culture, but 50 years later. And I think that's one of those. So in 50 years, yeah, they'll be teaching and it won't be an issue. Yep. But. <laughs> Hope so. I think it will be. I mean, that will happen. But then also uh, singing that song um, was, I mean, in a lot of ways, I do still like the song. I mean, I think part of what I like, um, and now having done um, more study of he- the Hebrew Bible, there was the line about, I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required. Oh, right. That's There's, like the I mean, flood of justice. And... Yeah, I think it probably comes from a specific line, but just it really rings of all the prophets of like God. Mm. I mean, there's some, there's a passage, Isaiah, Isaiah 41 or something. Okay. I think there's also Amos, yeah, that where God's like, I hate your religious feasts. Yeah, that's, or Amos, that's Amos, I think. Some, and uh, yeah, so that reminded me of that. And I mean, I love those passages in the prophets because it just feels so... So much like, yeah, this is what religion is supposed to be truly about is justice, which yeah. that's, that's my, that's what's interesting is because in the song, it's, that's not where it went necessarily. It's a, you know, song was, song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And then, and then the rest of the song is about, it's me, it's about me worshiping God. Yeah. But like, that's not where the prophets went with it. It's supposed to be about doing justice for the poor mainly. Yeah, here's Amos 5, 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Mm. Your assemblies are stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring me choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Mm. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. And that is why I don't give up on on the Bible, I think. Is passages like that are, to me, just stunning. And like that's the kind of religion I want to be part of. The message is, I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your, religious, your religion projects. Your pretentious yeah. slogans and goals. Oh, the message. I love it. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I heard a lot of sermons on this. Because, you know, in the, you know, Francis Chan, David Platt, you know, crazy love radical form of Christianity that I was a part of, this type of passage was everything. It was, you know, look at the churches out there that are, they think they're following God and they think they're worshiping him. They think they're bringing him what God wants and they're not. Mm, And mm -hmm. what God really wants is this, like, yeah, maybe you're singing or whatever, but that's not, that's not it. What it is, is 
justice and like taking care of the poor. And, and I still, that to me is still, I'm still like, yeah, I think that is a much more beautiful form of Christianity. To me, that that's not really what changed for me, not to get like way down a bunny trail, but it's just the the belief in certain ideas and theologies and doctrines and that type of stuff. That's what changed to me. And some of the, the some of the ways those limit, whether it's the acceptance of certain people or the damnation of certain people, mm. it's like, uh, that's what changed. Not do I hope that your religion and, you know, the religion that I'm, that I claim of Christianity, do I hope that that is one of where justice rain, rains down and flows like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. Like, yes, of course, that's that's wonderful. And that's a much more beautiful world to live in. I feel like I could almost track my own personal, um, my own Christian journey through the songs that, and I mean, sure, if you start really early on. I, I remember, <laughs> if we go way back Sunday school, I remember singing Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh, baby, let my people go. And I remember feeling weird about it because we say, I mean, there's that little verse about like, and all of Pharaoh's army did the dead man's float. And then you like pretend to sink under the sea. And I was like, this feels, I didn't, I mean, I was a very sensitive kid. I mean, just to, as a a basic, a very unrelated example of how sensitive of a kid I was. I was uh, in a little ballet studio performance of Mulan. I think I was probably five and i was that you know i was the short stubby little army guy who in if you've seen mulan you know uh, he has he has a name i can't remember what it is it's like poe or something like that and my one line to mulan was i ought to give you a knuckle sandwich and i could not i sobbed because i could not do it because i liked the girl who was playing mulan and i just was like i cannot so they gave the line to someone else i had no line (laughs) um so anyway, sensitive kids. So singing about like all of Pharaoh's army drowning, I was, I just thought, I, I don't know that I said anything. I don't know that it was even really conscious, but I felt uncomfortable that we're singing triumphantly about that. Yeah. That's like probably a good thing. And I wish something that more people and Christians would have that kind of inner compass on. Yeah. And then when I think about other, like the things that formed me, shaped me, mu- the music that shaped me growing up. I mean, we... I am a firm believer in songs as a way of learning things. I mean, you can memorize anything when it's a song. And we listened to, I think it was called like Seeds of Faith or Seeds of Truth or like a bunch of different albums that were just verses put to music. And I mean, I'm I'm still grateful because I, I'm glad I have a lot of scripture memorized, partially just so I can use my brain as a little concordance. But then also, I mean, a lot of these are, are really beautiful scriptures, um, beautiful wisdom, tradition. But then I feel like when I when I first thought like what are those what are the moments in the songs that most shaped me? Um, I, the first one that came to mind was from um, the 2008 Do Hard Things conference, which is funny because we've since realized that both you and I were there, um, and but we didn't know each other at that point. But it was so Do Hard Things. It was like this. It was called this teenage rebellion against low expectations. So it's this massive mega church full of teenagers who are being, it's this like weekend conference being taught about how like you can do more, you can do hard things. our friends. Put on, yeah, by Alex and Brett Harris. And the song that at least stood out to me, I feel like we sang over and over and over again, which I could be totally wrong, but this is my memory, is the stand with the chorus, um, like I'll stand with arms high and you want to just play it? It's the, the stand 
um, which is, uh, well, if you want to pull it, it's a tough one because the verses and the chorus are so disjointed. I always had a hard time remembering how to get from one to the other. But the chorus, I just remember singing over and over again and feeling incredibly convicted, which now that I say that, I feel like that's a pretty key word for worship, at least in my experience, was feeling convicted. And so, uh, yeah, that's this chorus. I guess maybe we're going to sing it. I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in all of the one who gave it all. I'll stand my soul to you surrendered all I am is yours and no no resolution so you just repeat it as many times as you want (laughs) Um, but and that was kind of I think that was the altar call um, song and the altar call was a crucial part of the do our things conference as well but I just and that song came back multiple times over the next decade just as a very convicting song for me i guess the all i am is yours idea so i don't know that one felt there's like a all like it's kind of this i'll stand if no one else even if no one else is standing kind of a idea and and then it had that like arms high and heart abandoned which i just talked about how like that was not really me like it took a lot of effort just to so for me like the fact that i didn't like couldn't really raise my hands like i don't know if i even finished saying that like it was physically difficult for me to open my hands and that's the part that i said maybe i need to talk to a therapist about but like it made it made me feel like if i can't just raise my hands and totally abandon myself then you know i'm not i'm not fully giving myself to god so it's just crazy how those connections get made and because it's in it's in musical form so it's easily memorized which means it's easily ingrained or embedded in in our psyche um, which you know most of us aspire for scripture to be that but probably we have way more worship songs memorized than we actually have scripture and so that's it's kind of interesting yeah and i think you know just think about this too i'm just my brain's going back to all the letters y'all have sent in via email and in the facebook group and stuff like that but just of this idea of like manipulation within the church that that some of you feel and this wasn't Mm. my experience at all but I think this is, there's like an emotional manipulation that could happen, even unintentionally, mm-hmm. even with the best of motives, through worship. And we talk about, you know, a church maybe being a, a breeding ground for um, different types of abuse. And we, we see that, right? We see these stories. And it's like, why does that happen? Well, you have this man of God kind of figure, right, that can do no wrong and is hearing from the Lord, you know, goes up on the mountain during the week and, and they're studying and they're hearing from God and then come and de- they come and deliver that to the congregation, right? So there's, there's already that aspect of, you know, how dare you question the man of God? And so there's this trust right there, right? I'm not saying these are all horrible people. I'm saying that could potentially be an unhealthy type of relationship, having this person that is uh, so much higher and you know, more significant and important than everyone else. I'm not even talking celebrity culture. This happens at, in congregations of a hundred and fewer people too. But then you add on top of that the the mood that is set in a in a building that we're all gathered in before we hear usually from this man of God, and it's it's largely created by this worship experience, this musical experience. There's a you know that the synth sound that kind of plays behind all the music because you don't want this song to just completely mm-hmm. you know drown out or die out. You don't want the song to completely just die out when it's over. You need that kind of back behind, right? And 
that kind of keeps you in that mood. I'm not saying these are all like bad things necessarily. They're it's just, just they, we need to acknowledge We have to them. acknowledge that they are strategies and techniques. Right. I'm speaking of like strategies. I mean, if we're talking like your analogy of, you know, a Coldplay concert, like they don't, there's no, they don't have, we wouldn't have any qualms about acknowledging that, yeah, we're absolutely out to, you know, manipulate emotions, not in a, a menacing way, but just you, they are trying to get people to have the most incredible emotional experience. And there are ways to do that using music. Right. And it's, we know that there's meetings about that, right? And it's mm-hmm. on, it's all on the table. And we know that's happening when we go to those things. If, you know, if you're smart and you're kind of open your eyes and look around, like we know that the light up bracelets, that's to create some effect in the audience that we couldn't get otherwise. We know that fog machine is for the, uh, to, to create this experience of like clouds or like some sort of, I don't know. I don't even know what it does, but it does something, right? <laughs> and the lights and the fireworks and the pyrotechnics that happen at different oh, but points. But the, the fog makes you feel like ethereal, like you're not sure. in a different world kind of. Sure, yeah. Yeah, because it's not how things normally look, right? We're not usually looking through this kind of haze to see something. It looks a little more magical or something when mm-hmm. you see that. So we know that in those settings, but uh, I just think it needs to be acknowledged, right? I still remember you, just, you talked about how this is all kind of structured and how it's put together. And I was thinking about, it used to, I don't know if it bugged me or it just, I was like, this is just weird. It, it, this was weird for me the entire time, long before like faith evolution or anything like that. I mean, I guess our faith is always evolving, but okay, mm-hmm. anyways. But was the idea of when I was structuring a, a service, it was like, okay, and then, you know, after your three songs, like you pray there and that'll, basically you're praying someone on the stage or you're mm-hmm. praying someone off the stage, you know? And I've seen the memes now where it's like, um, you, know, the, oh, yeah. <laughs> you sent me one the other day. <laughs> no, about- it was a bunch of gorillas or something that were like walking. Uh, I, I don't know what they were really doing, like gingerly, really gingerly coming around the corner and like making their way to the front of the zoo or something. But it was like the worship team or the, the, yeah, the worship team when the pastor's praying the the closing prayer. <laughs> I mean, there was all of us like as kids, you know, like peeking your eye open and being like, oh, so that's how, how they, they get out there. Yeah. <laughs> But but like using prayer, which is supposed to be this act of talking to a uh, a living God, the Almighty Being, and you're using it to get people on and off of a stage. And I remember thinking like, and we'd even say things like, you know, and, and maybe a little bit of a longer prayer there, so that because we need to, this is going to be a little more of a transition this one because we need to get the whole kids choir up on the stage. You know what I mean? So like we're yeah. like, okay, I guess I'll talk to the Almighty God for you know. 30 more seconds or something. It's just, it's a very strange thing when you're a part of kind of the behind the scenes of put, putting together one of these things. It's very different than the experience of someone out in the congregation. And it kind of is like, I guess, seeing behind the curtain a little bit um, for those of you out there who helped create those experiences, it it kind of changes things forever, I think. Like, I'm always thinking about the structure of it when I am when I experience one now of like the production and the, the structure of it and all that kind of stuff. So, all that to say, those little things, and there's a lot of those types of things that go on, not just praying someone on a stage, but um, there's more stuff like that that you realize just how programmatic it really is. And, and it sounds like we're like tearing this apart or something. It's just, I think these are things that are not usually acknowledged, and I just want a chance to acknowledge them because um, there are, your listener of this show, most likely you have uh, a complicated relationship with a lot of these things. And so this is where we can freely talk about stuff. and. It's okay to do that. And, you know, and I, do, I feel like I do want to acknowledge really quickly, too, that we're, we're very much talking about this in a, a Western 21st century context, pretty North American, that this is not 
the only way worship is done and maybe not how it's even historically mostly been done. And, and what's coming to mind for me is this really crazy experience I had. Um, I used to teach in China. I mean, I guess I was a missionary, but I didn't use that word. And I still kind of get a little bit scared when I use that word because I'm used to the Chinese government listening to me all the time. But, um, but I was out in this little tiny village. I mean, I won't say where it is. I also have really don't know where it was. I really don't know where I was. And with a bunch of staying with this family who did not speak English, turns out they, I, I spoke some Mandarin, but I found out a couple days in that they didn't even speak Mandarin. It was like a dialect of Mandarin. So I was like, this is why communication has been so hard. And, <laughs> but they were Christians. And so we like, we had a Bible and we would kind of like point out passages that we both knew. And that was like how we communicated. Um, but they, and they asked if I wanted to come to church with them, which I was, I'd never, I, I had no idea what to expect. <laughs> so I said yes, which meant we left basically when it was dark. And uh, I mean, it sounds like one of these Christian, crazy Christian missionary stories, but this really happened. And we, we walked down the street until we saw some, someone they knew who had, was in a, a big white van and like we jumped into the van and they like look around and we went, if the coast was clear, they went. And then like we drove for probably 20 minutes and every once in a while we'd pull over and pick up somebody on the side of the road who was waiting for the van. And it was, and, and it was like, nobody was talking. And, <laughs> and then we drove up this mountain and f- unload, climb further up the mountain into literally this cave. So I'm like, okay, it's called the underground church. We're literally underground in this tiny, tiny wow. cave. Um, with these tiny, tiny benches that you can see they set up like every week. I mean, this was probably starting at 8 or 9 p.m. and went all night. Like we didn't get home until the sun was rising. And I don't think there was a single instrument there, but there was was a guy who was kind of the leader, but he wasn't like the pastor or anything. I I, I don't know that he taught more than anyone else. So there was a bit of sharing time, but it was mostly just singing. Like they were singing and dancing these... Dances that they clearly dance probably every week. They everyone knew how they went and everything. Like there's motions involved, and hmm. I was basically like square dancing, but Chinese Christian version. And I was so completely out of my element because to me worship was a very. It's funny how we talked about how it's very communal, but it's also very like solitary in the communal experience mm-hmm. for us. Like you're all in a big room together, but you experience it by yourself don't really interact with the people next to you like it's supposed to be just you and god even though you mm-hmm. do with everyone that's interesting whereas yeah yeah whereas with them it was i mean it was it almost felt more about the people in the room than hmm. about god and they asked me if i would like to come share uh, a song from america <laughs> and in my absolute panic because i do not uh sing in front of people i picked all glory be to Christ, which was, is, I don't think has ever been a very popular song, but it was popular among my friend group at the time. I don't know if you even know it. Um, it's to the tune of Auld Lang Syne. I think, yeah, someone wrote it. I mean, I've heard it, I think, but yeah. But I mean, they're all singing, dancing, clapping. These are the most high energy songs you've ever heard. They're just going wild, loving it. And then they asked me to come sing, and I stand up and I'm like, should nothing of our efforts stand? Obviously, I have no idea what I'm saying, which is fine. But it's this, like a dirge, basically. And they're just like looking at me wide-eyed, trying to be encouraging. And I finish. 
and they're all like woo and then they just go back to their like super high energy clapping and it was incredibly embarrassing um anyway that was a long um story to just just to acknowledge like the type of worship we're talking about is does not encapsulate all worship um and uh yeah we're talking about the type that we grew up with which for the most part probably people listening to the show also grew up with which was a very instrumental uh orchestrated planned sunday morning church service kind of mm-hmm. experience yeah you know another song that i think of that i was thinking of earlier that i think was very shaping for me and also gets at i think a significant part of worship for me and i don't know if it was for you is um how he loves and of course that was uh it was a little controversial edgy song because it had that the line of like is it sloppy wet kiss or unforeseen kiss i mean it was obviously written sloppy wet kiss but if you were john mark mcmillan john mark mcmillan made popular by david crowder i'd say but yes there you go and the chorus like i just remember singing the chorus over and over and over again and i think that's the difference i think john mark mcmillan did sloppy wet and david crowder did unforeseen i think that's why there's the Really? Oh, I, I feel like they probably both did Sloppy Wet. And then it was churches who, they're like, we cannot sing about Maybe. a Sloppy Wet kiss with a bunch of like 70 and 80 year olds who are wondering why we're not singing a hymn right now. You know, <laughs> they will leave the church. That's not even funny because my, my childhood church really did split over worship. Oh, pastor. I think a lot of people yeah. left churches oh. over. Yeah. He loves us. Oh, how he thinking about how that song you know in one sense it's like the purest um message and probably you know the first thing you teach to children is jesus loves you god loves you like i mean how does it get better than that and i think looking back i probably would have assumed like that was a a really high point with you know taking in that song and like feeling the emotions of it but when i really reflect on it, i feel like what i was what i was feeling wasn't how much I'm loved, it was how much I'm loved when I don't deserve it. And I feel like that's also the message of like amazing grace, you know, saved a wretch like me. And just, I feel like I I can remember standing in chapel at my university singing a lot of worship songs, like working to understand like, wow, can you believe how, how could God possibly love me? And how I didn't personally really feel that. And I worked to to feel less worthy because I wanted to be impacted more yeah. by how much God loved me. Like I, you know, I'd look around at the pe- yeah, the people who are hands raised or crying because they're just overwhelmed by how much God loves them. And I don't think I naturally felt that. And so in order to naturally try to feel ha- overwhelmed by God's love, I needed to feel less worthy of it. Mm. And, and then now, so now looking back, I'm like, I don't know if that's healthy. I, I think it's probably not healthy. Like if we, we should be raising people who, are not at all surprised that God would love them who feel like people who are worthy of love. 
Yeah. And this comes back to like original sin yeah. as far as all of Western Christianity, um, but or Protestantism. But then, you know, it's in specifically reformed circles, it's the total depravity and there's nothing good in mm-hmm. you. And uh, they think they draw on like the filthy rag stuff from Paul and that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's really damaging. And it's, I would not say the main thrust of most of the scriptures that you read, but it's helpful to get someone to, to action. I'm not saying that's why everyone does it. I'm saying it does get people to action, um, move them to action. And, but it's really damaging. I mean, a lot of therapy sessions start because of these types of ideas and beliefs that people grew up with about God, that there's, uh, you know, that's the, 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 the two chasm or the chasm between the two cliffs example of, you know, there's human on this side, there's God on this side, and you are separated from God. I mean, this is how most people are introduced to this being in the West is that you are, God is distant from you. It's not, it's, it's, there's a broken relationship mm-hmm. and there's something wrong. And it's not about, it's not, it's not on God's side. It's you. You're the yeah. thing that's wrong. And don't worry, it's it was from before you were born. So that's uh, it's always supposed to make Nothing you feel. Nothing could have done about it. Yeah, it's always supposed to make you feel a little bit better. Like this is just a problem that was before. Anyways, not to get on. We've done that, covered that topic a lot on this series. Go back to like Maka Nagasawa back in, I don't know, episode 10, 20, something like that. Talking about a different type of more of like medical atonement, which I think is a little bit more of a beautiful way to think about it uh, as far as like healing mm-hmm. and for the purpose of restoring and not, you know, the kind of atonement that we've talked of the the penal, very penal type of atonement. Well, I think that wraps up my journey of through the, my music. Uh, we, you played three or four songs, but I'm curious when you look back on yours, what, if there's any songs that stand out as hmm. formative. Oh, probably hold on. I'll pause for a sec. Yeah. I mean, that's a good question. I feel like I'm having a hard time thinking of them probably because from a very young age, I was a part of creating the experience for other people I, as the worship leader. You were leader. the leader. Uh. Yeah. So I was constantly thinking about, so as I'm leading, I'm I'm not so much, and maybe this is, you know, other worship leaders were able to do this better than I was, but I wasn't so much thinking about, like, losing myself in the song. Mm. I was thinking about the... <laughs> getting keep, everyone else. Getting everyone else there and, like, creating that experience for them. And, the you know, the next song I got coming up and the... Are the slides working hmm. and you know all that kind of stuff? Oh, um, slides. I, my, I started oh, back slides. in the I started back in the uh, transparents. You know, you had to print mm. out oh, your yeah. transparents mm-hmm. to put on the overhead projector. Um, not to like age myself, but and then as a kid, I remember the the slide projector with the actual like this you know, the slides that you dropped in and they, they press mm. the button and it turns the thing on the top mechanically and drops the next slide in. <laughs> and I never had to create those, but yeah, I was right in the next with the overhead projector thing. Uh, but then, yeah, the, the slides and make sure everything's working there. And um, because if there's an issue, then I want to get it corrected for the second service. I'm just a very much a, my background's in radio and, you know, stage production and stuff like that. And so very much like a the order of events and production and all that kind of stuff and uh, keeping it, keeping it. So like as far as thinking of a song that, that um, you know, kind like, of was that you, significant special thing, it's, it's difficult. Do you feel like... Worship was an emotional experience for you, or I mean, music is a very yeah, it's a it's an emotional experience for me. But it's, I think I still I'm not a very like 
expressive, like outward person. And I don't, so I think a lot of it was still largely uh, in my head. It was, it was very cerebral for me. But I guess there was, uh, there was a version of Old Rugged Cross by mm. uh, Chris Rice, which now that's a complicated thing mm. too with the, all the stories mm. out about Chris Rice and his sexual assault and, um, and how that was going on for a long time and probably during the years of uh, a lot of these albums and things like that, which is super sad and super wrong. And, uh, and it seems like that just happens. seems like that just happens. Too much too much and over and over again and but that song um just the song in general the old rugged cross but i just i just happen to listen to that version a lot um but so that's one just the because anything anything connected with like eternity and like when we reach the finish line and um like that moment and like laying our our crowns down and getting our our reward of entering the kingdom with god and all that like all that kind of stuff was very um uh, kind of just riled me up a lot uh, and so that that song was hey, riled me up in a good way did you li- did you sing cornerstone um like christ alone that was Corners- later later yeah. but it has that i don't know what you're saying reminded me of that verse the you know when he shall come with trumpet sound oh may i then in him be oh yeah what hymn is that that's that's a it's, hymn. it's from christ of solid rock i stand I right think. christ of solid rock yeah oh yeah i just um, What's the opposite of dating yourself? I just like youngified myself by doing the <laughs> yeah, new was, version before the old one. I mean, that wasn't like in deconstruction yet, but that was, you know, just a few years away from, mm. from that starting. So I, and I wasn't leading, I was leading a little bit at that time, but I wasn't leading a whole ton when those kind of songs were coming out. But yeah, like stuff like that, that I'm trying, there's, I know there were others, but that old record cross. Uh, mm, okay. Now I got to redeem myself. It's when he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then and be found there we go yes. that's the traditional version or like that one verse in in christ alone or the one verse in how great thou art like mm. when he shall come Oof. with shouts of acclamation for some reason it's just shout of acclamation. what joy shall fill my heart yeah like those type of things or what's the in christ alone one um oh i gotta blow through all the verses in my head to get to the last one um mm-hmm. there in the ground wait that's not even no. No guilt in life. Yeah. No fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry till final. Yeah, anything about like final breath Jesus or the finish line or laying down your cross at the end and all that. Those were mm, just really singing meaningful. that song in Christ alone. That was a big one for me. It's yeah. just beautiful. Like these songs are beautiful, even though sometimes really problematic. Anyway, sorry, keep Yeah. So I think, you know, one thing I think we didn't talk about a lot on here is problematic theology in songs. You know, and we get into that a lot on Utterly Heretical where we talk through worship songs. I mean, that's primarily what we're doing. We're talking about the good and the bad, and a lot of it is, you know, things that we see differently now in some of these songs. So if you really enjoy that, uh, this was a little bit of a different conversation, but if you enjoy that type of thing, I would really encourage you to go get the second podcast. You can go to almostheretical.com and just click uh, to get those extra episodes under episodes at the top, um, go to Utterly Heretical, and you can get all that stuff. Because um, we find it helpful to really talk through that mm-hmm. and to uh, it helps us process. I think it helps others process these songs that were really meaningful and really powerful. And today, that's what we wanted to do as well, talk about some specific songs, but also talk about this whole experience of worship and singing communally together in a religious context, um, in a Christian context, because for most of you out there, you had that experience and it either meant something 
and still means something. Uh, it's this complicated thing that you're not sure what to do with. And we just want you to know that all of those things are, we understand them. And, uh, and there's a lot of people that are feeling that same thing. We talk about these types of things on our Zoom calls with patrons, and it's really interesting to hear just the the mixture in there of people that can't I can't I can't sing any I can't hear it I can't sing it anymore that's I just need to have a break from that for quite a while and then there's other people that are like yeah I still you know I'm still part of a church I sing those things like you all are welcome here on this journey and um we're really grateful to have you yeah this so this episode we've kind of just started off by the series by um you know, giving some some background of our experiences and um, talking a little bit about like what worship is or was for us. Um, but where we're going, I'm I'm excited about. We're going to talk to um, a couple different people, um, some people who have have been you know worship leaders in the past and what that maybe change has looked like for them. And then on and then we're pretty excited too about um, a guest we'll be talking to who is kind of moving forward in this space because I think when we talk about worship, it's easy to just like it's something it feels like something we've left behind in a lot of ways. But there there are people who are trying to kind of figure out how can we how can we take this with us when we change and change it as we go. So yeah, yeah, it's it's fascinating, and I'm excited for this series. This is something we've kind of long wanted to do, and many of you have requested things like this. And so we're excited to uh, to get to do this finally and to have you along. And please help us shape the series. If there's topics within this you want to talk about or songs you want to talk about or people you want to have interviewed, like get you can get in the Facebook group um, through the website and and we would love to to hear what it is you're wanting and we, we really appreciate understanding what where where we're trying to go. I also just want to say a quick shout out to our new patrons, Holly and Jordan and Diane and Mary, Patsy, Jocelyn, Laura, Bill, and Lisa. Thank you so much for your support. We're so excited to have you a part of the Zoom calls and the Facebook group and getting the second podcast we do, Utterly Heretical, as well. And if you want to join them and to get those things as well, you can go to almostheretical.com and we'll see you on the other side. A holy open invitation That sounds more like truth to me A holy open invitation That sounds more like truth